So I'm just going to speak for a few minutes about uh, refuge before we take the refuges and the precepts. Um, refuge is something that might be on many of our minds these days as uh, the world is less, seems to be less stable than it was before. It's not actually, it's the same as same degree of instability. Uh, but we're seeing a lot more of that becoming manifest, shall we say. It's revealing what was always there. And there are you know, quite a number of layers of refuge that we could have in our life. I think we always have some kind of something that we're relying on, whether it's conscious or not. And maybe one way to view the spiritual path is allowing ourselves to be supported by deeper and deeper refuges as we discover what those are and become willing to uh, give ourselves over to them in a sense. So, you know, at the very mundane level, many people living their lives take refuge in things like their job and or their health, um, their body of some, in some way, and or their relationships. And we, we find often that you know, when those change, which they do quite a lot, those are not reliable refuges, those things, uh, often is what brings people to spiritual practice, some kind of suffering that comes from the removal of something that we thought was reliable. Um, and so then we gain a little bit of wisdom, even though there's also the, the suffering that goes with it. But in terms of uh, formal refuge that one considers in spiritual practice, I'm going to talk about maybe three different kinds. Uh, the first would be an, an outer taking of refuge. And in our tradition, that's what we'll be doing. Well, we'll be using these words, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. And there are uh, maybe different versions of these. So there are external versions of these that are more reliable than those you know, sort of conditions of our lives that we otherwise take refuge in. So, you know, what is the outer Buddha? Um, we, we may find these things for ourselves, but, you know, we can take refuge literally in uh, the understanding of who the Buddha was as a historical person or as a spiritual leader, however we envision him. We, you know, these teachings have been passed down for a long time, and so we can presume that there was a person, or maybe it's more than one person, um, but who originally... Uh, figure this stuff out and so there can be an inspiration from the fact that this is something that some human or humans did um, and we can have you know, symbols of that you know this is my uh, my altar at home and it has a Buddha image on it which I find inspiring I, you know I don't I don't consider it to be a literal refuge it's made of a non-durable material and so forth and it's outside of me and it's only in this one place in my home but nonetheless when I pass by it or sit in front of it there's a, a certain feeling and that is like the equivalent of the outer refuge in the in the Buddha or we may take refuge in kind of a, a teacher as a substitute for the figure of the Buddha uh, somebody who seems to have some um, understanding of how to do this life and so we feel that there's some refuge there. And that's skillful. It's, it's skillful to begin 
orienting around things like that. Uh, there's the, the outer dharma, the, the, the teachings that we hear and read, um, come across, uh, coming in from the outside, our podcasts, our books, these sorts of things, also very supportive. And of course, the more we immerse in them, the, you know, the more uh, we can feel the strength of those things in our lives. Um, there's also the outer sangha, the people that we sit with and practice with, absolutely crucial uh, in terms of walking the path. Um, and you know, when they're not available physically, we put them up on the screen like this because they're important. But how reliable is it? We can't be within six feet of each other right now. Oh, even this refuge, a little bit not so totally secure. It's okay. Don't worry, <laughs> but um, so we we then maybe get a sense. Okay, there's actually something. You know, we're all here, and we all have maybe an inner sense. I'm going to talk now about the internal refuges, which go a little bit deeper. These are the things that we're now really in contact with as we're uh, somewhat physically isolated from each other. It's a tremendous opportunity to realize what kind of an inner refuge we've also been cultivating because you you really start to cultivate that as soon as you take refuge in the outer ones also so you know what about the inner refuge of the buddha well what is what's the nature of the buddha you know, awareness um, so we have our mindfulness practice you know, the ability to know and see and be present and have some kind of understanding these are uh, qualities that we have to some degree in ourselves. We can always take refuge in our awareness of something. So for example, if the mind is in a not such a uh, helpful state, if we know that, if we're mindful of it, wow, I'm really anxious right now. Ah, that is actually a wholesome state. Mindfulness of anxiety is wholesome, even though anxiety is unwholesome. So just that very awareness um, brings the mind into a wholesome state, even if what we're aware of is unpleasant or difficult. So this is a refuge, um, having that knowledge, having that awareness come up for us. We have some understanding of the inner refuge of the Dharma. We've heard a lot of teachings, all of us here, and those have a tendency to come up, don't they? When we're, you know, in certain moments, you know, we'll be washing the dishes and we break a glass and we remember the Ajahn Shah teaching where he said, I enjoy this cup, but I know it's already broken. You know, where does that come from? Well, it comes from the fact that we paid attention to listening to the, to the outer Dharma, and then it arises for us as inner Dharma in moments when we need it. And I suspect that we've all had moments like that too, where some aspect of the teachings informs us in a very clear way. It just arises. So we know that our understanding, which is kind of the inner dharma, uh, our understanding supports us, our wisdom, our clarity, um, our willingness to be with uncertainty and impermanence, our sense that things are not totally personal and all about us. Any degree of understanding that we've gained uh, is there for us at some, sometimes at least. And so, there's the inner dharma, which is growing all the time, and we're just more aware of it now. And then what about the inner sangha? Is there such a thing? Well, 
who do we live with? We live with all those things in our mind. We live with the mind states and the heart states that arise for us throughout the day. And these change and come and go. And sometimes they're pleasant and sometimes they're unpleasant, I know. But the, um, the ones that really support us, that is the wholesome mind states, are a form of inner sangha. Those are our friends. The friend called patience, the friend called love, the friend called compassion, who visit us. And they don't have to stay six feet away. And they are invited. Um, and they're always supportive for us when they come. And so we're cultivating through, of course, through mindfulness practice. Mindfulness has the effect of enhancing wholesome states and diminishing unwholesome ones. That's just the magic of mindfulness. So over time, we're getting more and more friends of this wholesome type that come and visit us in our mind and heart. Uh, through meditation, we maybe cultivate some degree of calm. Sometimes even concentration or peace arises for us. Again, part of our sangha, um, part of our little supportive community that we're building inside. And sometimes that spills out and begins to help others also. But it's, that happens because we have that sangha within us. So we have the outer Buddha Dharma Sangha, which supports the inner Buddha Dharma Sangha, which is even more reliable, of course, as we see now in these times. And of course, you know, more graphically, the inner Sangha is what supports us as we say, as we move toward illness and death and old age and other things. That's really what's going to be there when we can't rely on our body, when we can't rely on our possessions, surely. And we can't even rely eventually on our friends and family. These are the things that will be there. But there's an even you know, more reliable refuge in, in the end, which is not something that we can know cognitively at all. Um, Nibbana is the, the only truly reliable refuge, the only thing that doesn't change. Um, and it's something that we can touch into through our practice. That's where it goes. You don't have to worry about that. It will, um, it will appear when needed, in a sense, when the conditions, when enough of the outer conditions are there. It's kind of ironic that there are conditions for the unconditioned, but it's true, <laughs> at least initially. And then, um, yeah, and then that creates a, a, the most reliable reference point that we can have, even though the mind is, still has a lot of work to do <laughs> at that point. Um, that's the direction that this goes. And each layer of refuge that we encounter uh, supports not only our whole life, um, but it draws us deeper. Each one we're at has in it the seed of the one deeper than that. That's what's called onward leading in the Dharma. And it's a beautiful thing. It's the, we've all evoked it through our uh, initial taking of refuge and finding this path. So I hope this encourages you to rely on whatever refuge you can be in touch with at this moment, um, knowing that it will naturally be drawing you down farther. Same way that water is drawn downward downhill and eventually arrives at the ocean. That's what it does.
So, 